This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel. Now I've found that the prosperity doctrine works really, really well for those who preach it and not for really anyone else. Prosperity doctrine would teach that the cross of Jesus is less about dealing with my sin and more about ensuring that I obtain all my earthly desires. It advertises all the pleasures of the world at the expense of Christ's sacrifice. And of course, this teaching appeals to the masses. Why wouldn't it? Who doesn't want to be healthy, wealthy, and without a problem in the world? Right now, there aren't enough pastors behind the pulpit to talk about the real issues. Some churches have gotten behind the idea of talking politics at church or how to increase your finances. These feel-good messages are a reflection of the church's overall beliefs. And frankly, Pastor Josh has had enough of it. Today, Pastor Josh challenges you and advocates for you to stay away from those churches. Because when the church doesn't talk about God's Word, what are we talking about? Now, here's Pastor Josh in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3, as he continues his message, Doctrine, False Doctrine. isn't necessarily saying, if a Mormon comes to your house, you can't engage him in a conversation. I have found that it's not profitable. I've never had a profitable argument or conversation at the doorway of my house. I'm not saying you haven't. I'm not saying if the spirit doesn't lead you, don't have that conversation. But for John, what he's saying is someone comes to you, do not concede to their Jesus. Do not give them any intention or any premonition that you somehow affirm that they believe in the same things you believe and that you and brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ who just are slightly different on certain points, don't welcome them and fellowship with them in that way. We've studied it before, but Hebrews chapter 13 tells us Jesus Christ is the same when? Yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. And what's the result? Then he continues, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. And there are some strange ones out there. These are only two major examples of the plethora and gamut of cults that exist that use the name of Jesus, but distort the nature of Jesus, that present to you a different Jesus and a different gospel than what you have received. And we need to be cautious, the Christian scientists, the various, you know, stem off cults. We've got to be careful of these that have twisted the scriptures. And they're, you know... I think it's a shame to the evangelical church that most Mormon children and teenagers and Jehovah's Witness teenagers who raised in the church are far well more versed in their Bibles and in their doctrines of their churches than most of the young people in the true church of Jesus today. We have, in a sense, dropped the ball quite drastically in the discipleship of our children But you know what? When God is truly calling someone, he exposes those lies. I had a friend for two years when I was in college. We uh, drove to school every single day back and forth together, and he was a Jehovah's Witness. And so we had all sorts of interesting conversations, to say the least, on those car rides. And he challenged me by things I hadn't thought through and wrestled through and found that there's always solid biblical answers to everything that's false that comes out, and that was really good for me. But... The big kicker was two years after we stopped college and 
lost contact and didn't see each other anymore. He pulls up in my driveway one day. Two years later, say, hey, you know, I won't say his name, but what's going on, man? I haven't seen you for a couple of years. And he said, you know, I just, my parents got divorced. Everything's falling apart. The church is, is shunning us and doesn't seem right. And I just remembered our conversations and how kind of different you were from what I experienced. And, and uh, he didn't pray to receive Christ, but he came to me. <laughs> when he was needing those true answers. And I think that we just continue to live out and proclaim the truth with confidence and courage. And so there are these pseudo-Christian doctrines that we have to be aware of that exist out there that seek to change the person of Jesus. The second thing I want to continue on, actually the third here, is what I would label as cancerous Christian doctrines. And some of these can be all lumped together, and these could all be in one category. But how I would define these are doctrines that get planted in true Jesus-loving, gospel-affirming churches. So people who are in churches that believe the true gospel and they love the true Jesus, yet they get off track and off course when doctrines come in that are not rooted in the scripture. And this happens a lot, and it's everywhere. And I humbly suggest that it's not beyond any church or any person to be swept up in it if we are not constantly remaining grounded in the word of God. I love what Charles Spurgeon once spoke to his congregation. He said, discernment is not simply a matter of telling the difference between what is right and wrong. Rather, it is the difference between what is right and what is almost right. There is some truth to that statement. Some of the cancerous Christian doctrines that were present in Paul's time in the apostolic age was this Judaizing, okay? We mentioned it before, Judaism mixed with Christ. You have to follow our Jewish faith and our rules if you really want to be confident you're saved. There was also Christian Gnosticism that was infiltrating the church, which I'll talk more about later. There was an abuse of the spiritual gifts in the church of Corinth that was leading many people into false doctrine, And what was the apostolic response to the false doctrines that were permeating and propagating within the church, within God's field? I always tend to chuckle when I hear Paul's language to the church of Galatia, who was being infiltrated by these Judaizers and by these false doctrines. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 12, Paul says, I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Say, that's what is that? A little context then. The Judaizers were saying, if you want to be saved, you Gentile, you trust in Jesus, and then you come to church for your surgery because it's time to get circumcised, men. You have to be circumcised according to the law of Moses. And Paul, I'm trying not to be too vivid here, Paul says, if they think, oh, you're going to be super spiritual by being circumcised, why don't they just become the most super spiritual eunuchs ever and just cut themselves off? You know, I find it troubling today that you read language like this. Paul was so direct and so clear. Sadly, you know what the enemy has done today to us in our culture? He has made us believe that the people who are clear and direct about the truth are the troublemakers and the division causers, and the people who are smooth talkers, who woo you and charm you into their niceties and say all sorts of things without saying anything. Those are the unifiers, even though they're spreading false doctrine. Smooth talk doesn't equal sound doctrine. What we want about the truth is clarity. 
We want to know the truth. And when Paul would see this, this is how he felt. He was so defensive of the flock of God that he would say these types of things. Regarding some of the dangerous doctrines that creep into the church, Paul warns the Corinthians who were falling prey to cancerous doctrines, listen to this passage. And I read it last week, but listen carefully. It's a good identifier. In fact, if you want to turn to 2 Corinthians 11, I'm going to go through a few of these verses here. Starting at verse 3, it's on the screen. Paul says, I fear, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom you have not preached, if he receive a different spirit which you have not received or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. This is a very rebuking tone. Paul is saying, you church boast that someone comes into your midst claiming to be an apostle, claiming to be a preacher, claiming to be a spirit-filled author, and they present to you a, a slightly different Jesus and a slightly different gospel and a slightly different Holy Spirit than what you've received, and you applaud yourself that you put up with it. Oh, we're so broad. We just accept, you know, what everyone believes, and, you know, we just open our hearts and open our arms to everybody. And Paul says, why are you putting up with it? You are basically saying, welcome, cancer, into my body. Come do your damage. And notice the three characteristics that Paul gives us as the litmus test. He says, if there's any doctrine or teacher that changes the person of Jesus, that changes the procedures of the Holy Spirit, or that changes the purposes of the gospel, you are not to receive it as an authority into your heart and into your mind and into your life. And Paul would defend himself saying things like this, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 12, notice there he says, what I am doing, I will continue to do. Why? That I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. So Paul says, I'm going to continue to warn you. I'm going to continue to call them out. I'm going to continue to tell you the truth so that their opportunity to influence you and to gain your following and to get your money and to get your worship and your praise and your adoration is cut off. And then he describes these people. If you're there, look again, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13, he continues, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of what? Light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. There's a great danger, church, in believing that doctrine is only wrong if it's obviously wrong. Satan is the king of subtlety. He comes with minor adjustments, which means that your discernment to discern those adjustments is related to and correlated to your rootedness and groundedness in the word of God. Can you look at this contrast with me just briefly? Notice regarding the false teachers and the subtlety of Satan, notice how they are perceived when you first look at them. You see them on TV, you 
listen to a message, you hear a clip on the radio, you see something come in your email. What do you perceive at the surface? Paul says that they come across as apostles of Jesus. They come across as angels of light. They come across as ministers of righteousness. What does that mean? That on the surface, they're saying the right things. They're apparently promoting all their, look at my signs, look at my wonders, look at my good works, look at my list of qualifications. And yet, he says, those very people that anyone would look at and say, oh, not them, are the people who look at the contrast, who are false apostles, deceitful workers, and influenced by Satan himself. I didn't write it. Paul said, this is the contrast that exists. And now this might seem a bit intense. Oh, gosh, man. Josh, how do we know? How can we stay protected? How do we identify some of the errors? Well, I want to talk about this very specifically for the remainder of our time together this morning. First, I want you to know my heart. Before diving into this passage, I want to establish a couple truths. Are you guys still with me? Okay, let, come with me on another rabbit trail, shall we? I don't consider myself a theological police officer. I take very seriously the passages where Jesus warns us to be very careful about how we use our discernment. At one point, Jesus' disciples, who you, you got to love these guys, you know, when they were walking with Jesus, they weren't really filled with the Spirit. They were just wanting to, like, destroy everyone who wasn't like them. And at one point, the disciples saw someone casting out demons in the name of Jesus. They, well, they go to Jesus and go, hey, Jesus, there's this guy over here, and he's casting out demons in your name, but he's not part of our group. And Jesus says, chill out. He didn't say chill out. Okay, that's <laughs> my, my paraphrase. Here's what Jesus said. He said, do not forbid him. He who is not against us is for us. Just because someone isn't in my same theological or denominational camp or stream doesn't mean they're not on Jesus' team. Just because they're driving in a different lane than me doesn't mean that they're automatically going the opposite direction that I am. I've come to find that two born-again, spirit-filled believers can look at a same Bible passage and in their love for God's word and their belief in the inerrancy and sufficiency of scripture, they interpret it two different ways. They can still get along as long as they're not changing the nature of Jesus and changing the nature of the gospel and changing the person of the Holy Spirit. We can agree to disagree as long as the interpretation doesn't directly contradict God's clear statutes in his word. We can work together for the kingdom purposes. We are not to divide from other Christians critically based on our own preferences, the kind of music we like, our worship styles, our liturgy, our ministry emphasis. We're one body in Christ. Amen to that? So we need to be careful before we pronounce judgment on anyone in regards to false doctrine. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gives us a parable of good wheat and bad tares that were sown in the same field. The farmer planted the wheat, the enemy came and sowed the tares among the wheat. And the servants, when they start to see it grow, and by the way, when, when wheat and tares are at their immature adolescent age, you can't tell the difference between the two of them. And said, so, well, we saw the enemy sowing the tares in the field. What are we supposed to do? Do you want us to go tear them all out? And the master said, no, lest you tear out some of the wheat while you're tearing out the tares. Don't worry, when the harvest comes, it's all going to be sorted out. And Jesus basically says that the ultimate judgment 
for what is true and false and who propagates it is going to be left up to Jesus on judgment day. I believe that these examples emphasize that the Lord would rather spend us spend the majority of our time planting good seed and loving the truth and watering good seed rather than walking through the field being like we are God's theological police officers. You know, I'm going to go find every little tear in that field and I'm just going to rip it up, you know. I, I have found in some of these quests that people have, they get on this like dilemma or agenda that sometimes people get so consumed with what's wrong that they begin to forget what's right. Always looking at every error and never seeking the truth. However, and don't worry, I'm not saying however on my own accord, we must not lose sight of the other words Jesus taught us. When wheat and tares grow into the mature stage, their fruit differentiates what they truly are. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this in verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, and every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. And every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Then he says this, therefore, by their fruits you shall know them. So while it's not our job to just go tearing through the field and judging everyone, it's everyone's salvation and putting everyone in this camp, it is our job to say, there is some obvious bad fruit and we need to guard against ourselves against it and we need to be aware about it and we need to identify it so that we don't walk in error. You understand? Jesus and the apostles did this very thing specifically on multiple occasions. Listen up. Paul called out by name false teachers in his letters. He rebuked Hymenaeus and Philetus for their eschatological error in overthrowing the faith of some, telling them that the return of Jesus has already happened. He called out Alexander for his blasphemy. John called out Diotrephes for his ill treatment of the church, his spiritual abuse, and his desire to be preeminent among the apostles. Jesus called the Pharisees, check it out, whitewashed tombs, brood of vipers, and children of the devil right to their faces. Paul called out Peter in front of other people when he was starting to distort and misrepresent the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 16, listen to Paul's language carefully. He says, I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the what? Doctrine. You have learned and avoid them. He says, don't just talk about it. Mark them out, note them so that you can avoid the error. And so in the remainder of our time, I want to, I didn't get through all these, and I'm not going to get through them all now, but I want to identify a few fruits that I believe are dangerous roots in the church. And again, please know that I love you. I don't say this to offend you. I don't say these things to be a judgment to anyone. I'm just saying what is out there, what exists. Please hear that. The first true cancer and error, I think, that has permeated the Western church specifically is what is known or termed or coined as a prosperity gospel. 
The prosperity gospel changes the purpose of the gospel. I would define such a gospel as one that declares that one of the purposes of Jesus' death on the cross is to make you materially and financially wealthy on this side of heaven. And it's not hidden even. I went, I just quickly went on Amazon and I just typed in the book section. Jesus Prosperity. That's it. Here are the first titles of the books that came up. Book number one, Jesus Wants You to Be Rich. Book number two, 20 Days of Prayer for Prosperity in the Jesus Made Me Rich series. Book number three, The Laws of Prosperity, a Divine Revelation. Book number four, You're Supposed to Be Wealthy. All Christian, Christian books by Christian authors, Reverend so-and-so, Pastor so-and-so, Apostle so-and-so. The titles go on and on. But here's the reality of the prosperity doctrine, the idea that Jesus' price on the cross made God's intention towards you to, to bless you with every physical blessing that you can imagine. If you're poor, if you're not wealthy, if you don't have extra, you're not believing big enough, you're not asking God for enough, you need to believe more because God wants you to have more, basically diminishes the gospel of God's grace, forgiveness of sins, and redemption to a get-rich-quick scheme that appeals to the fleshly and carnal nature of human beings who want to root their identity, their value, their joy, their contentment in something rather than someone. And I have found that the prosperity doctrine works really, really well for those who preach it and not for really anyone else. Prosperity doctrine would teach that the cross of Jesus is less about dealing with my sin and more about ensuring that I obtain all my earthly desires. It advertises all the pleasures of the world at the expense of Christ's sacrifice. And of course, this teaching appeals to the masses. Why wouldn't it? Who doesn't want to be healthy, wealthy, and without a problem in the world? Self-proclaimed teachers and prophets use the carnal desires to take advantage and fleece the flock, robbing them for their own financial gain and the building of their own kingdoms. Peter and Jude describe these very people in the exact same way. Both Peter and Jude write, they have forsaken the right way and they have gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Balaam is an Old Testament prophet who used his prophetic status to trick the people of Israel into a curse so that he could make a few bucks. Beware the language, church. Plant your seed of $100 in my ministry and God will reward you tenfold. You will be out of debt by this month. You just need to claim that wealth that belongs to you and God will be obligated to give it to you. Do I have the tone right yet? I'm not, okay, I'm just making sure. <laughs> we refuse the theology that allows for sickness. Poverty is a sin because God told you to multiply. Jesus isn't sick. There's no reason for you to be sick. What do you need? Start by speaking it out and creating it out of your words. Speak to your billfold and tell your billfold you are full of money. God will begin to prosper you because money always flows from righteousness. Josh, you're going overboard. Stop making it. Those are all 100% word-for-word direct quotes from those who pack out stadiums of tens of thousands of people every week worldwide. They're blasted through TVs and radios and airwaves and internet and sold in almost every Christian bookstore. Thanks for joining us today here on The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins. Throughout this study, 
We learn about how the Apostle Paul mentored a young pastor friend who was working to reach the hearts of the people he was pastoring. Paul was in Rome at the time, and persecution was no stranger to either of these men. Despite all of that, Paul trusted God to use him where he was. He encouraged Timothy to continue spreading the gospel message. We hope today's teaching has inspired you to continue going forward, even when things get hard. God will take care of all your needs. He'll use your gifts and abilities right where you're at, so you can stand strong to love others well. Will you place your faith in God? If you're checking this whole God thing out for the first time and haven't come to know Jesus as your personal Savior, that's okay. But please, please go to TheAscendingLife.com and click on the Know Jesus tab. There you'll be pointed in the right direction to know more about how much God loves you. Here at Grace Church, we want your heart to be awakened to the love, truth, and power of God. Do you want to hear more messages from Pastor Josh? Hop online and visit our website, TheAscendingLife.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast. Again, that's TheAscendingLife.com. We so appreciate you listening to this edition of The Ascending Life as we strive to put Jesus first. But that's it for now. Will you make plans to join us again? We hope so, because there's more to learn about God. So be sure to tune in next time on The Ascending Life. We're reaching up, we're pressing